Welcome to Living Catholic, the weekly podcast from the Diocese of Birmingham that explores how we can live our Catholic life faithfully and with joy. I'm Dr. David Anders, Director of the Department of Education. I'm welcomed today by Father Hezekiah Carnazzo. Father Hezekiah graduated from Christendom College in 2004, completed a master's degree in systematic theology with an advanced apostolic catechetical diploma from Christendom's graduate school. In 2009, Father Hezekiah, formerly Deacon Sabatino, founded the Institute of Catholic Culture and has since served as its executive director. He was ordained to the priesthood on May the 1st, 2016. He also serves as the director of the Office of Catechesis and Evangelization for the Melkite Greek Catholic Eparchy of Newton. He is the recipient of numerous awards and is a frequent guest on Catholic media. He and his wife, Linda, have six children. Father Hezekiah, welcome to Living Catholic. Thank you, Doctor. Such a blessing to be with you and your listeners today. I am so excited to have you. You know, I uh, I first discovered you when I was scrolling through media, looking for Catholic podcasts, and I found the Institute for Catholic Culture, and I was instantly impressed. Uh, I still haven't found anything in the uh, internet world quite like it. For those that are unfamiliar with the institute, could you tell us a little bit about this apostolate? Oh yeah, I, I um, you know, I, 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 as, as you mentioned, I'm a graduate from Christendom College. It was really there that I began to um, learn the faith, understand the faith in a, in a very deep and 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 real and personal way. And I, um, it was oftentimes I was an older student when I went to college. Uh, I was 25, so when the when the parents would come pick up their kids from you know at the end of the semester, I I, I was always hearing. I wish I had received the education that you're receiving. I wish I had had that opportunity. And it really was a life-changing education for me, an opportunity to uh, complete uh, a change in my, in my worldview. And um, I said, why, why not? Why are we hiding from the laity, the treasures uh, that our Catholic patrimony gives to us in our, in our uh, understanding of Catholic history and in philosophy and theology and, and, and scripture, uh, literature and so forth. Why is your average Catholic not exposed to the rich treasures which have inspired generations of Catholics to, to literally give their lives for Christ? I mean, oftentimes being martyred and so forth like that. And so that kind of was the foundation of the Institute to say, we want to go out to the laity and give them an opportunity uh, to really dive deep into, uh, you know, Catholic philosophy, history, theology, whatever the case may be, uh, Catholic political theory, so that we can really live as Catholics. I love being with you guys today because with this project you're working on, because this is what it's all about, is coming alive in Christ and actually having a, a, an understanding of the transformative power of my faith, the transformative power of my encounter with Christ, and how this changes every aspect of my life, the way I think and the way I live. You know, while you were speaking, I, I passage from the General Directory for Catechesis came to me. That's the document from the Vatican that explains how to do the work of catechesis. And there's a section in the document on Catholic schools. And it makes the point that, that religious education in a Catholic school is not the same thing as catechesis. Mm. And I think that there's a, there's a tendency to view it that way. I mean, clearly you need to do catechesis, explain the elements of the kerygma and the liturgical life and the moral life. You have to do that in a Catholic school, but that's not the specific competence of a Catholic school. You can do that in a parish. The mm -hmm. school, whether it be a Christendom college or even a, you know, diocesan uh, grammar school is really intended to teach the student how to mediate between their faith and culture. 
mm. and the wider world. And to do that, you must engage science, history, philosophy, political theory, you know, the ethical life, activism, whatever it might be. There's so much to what it means to live in the world. The school is where uh, a Catholic student is meant to learn how to bring their faith to bear on exactly those kinds of questions. Uh, you know, your point, This what I'm hearing you say, is that you were getting that kind of formation at Christendom. You thought that there was a lacuna in the rest of the church's uh, formation, maybe up to the age of college. You wanted to meet that, uh, uh, fill that lacuna, fill that gap. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so sad, Doctor. So many good documents, so many insights of the of, of in, in in church teaching for the faithful that are left in documents, and uh, never really they never really are applied in the life of the church. Sadly, and here's there's a, there's a, a a great example. You know, most people graduate from, uh, you know, I say graduate. I, I it's you know they, we shouldn't conceive of it in this way, but we graduate from confirmation right? Uh, we graduate them. I was just even seeing somebody ask a question about wearing uh, robes at confirmation because it gives a sense of graduation, you know, and they, and we finish off their formation. We have a bunch of adult Catholics running around with what is about, I mean, if we're lucky an eighth grade education in the faith, if we're lucky and we're expecting them to live their Catholic faith fully as adults, malnutritioned, if you will, right? They don't have the ingredients that they need so as to live in the world as a Catholic. And then we wonder why Catholics aren't living as Catholics, right? Why is our society so dark around us? And we, we're constantly pointing the finger at this political leader, or this problem going on, or that you know, breakdown in society, whatever. I said, I think it's time we put up a mirror and ask ourselves why the very ones who are chosen to be the light of the world are not actually shining that light. You know, we, Jesus used that word, uh, image of salt. And I love that image. You're, you're, the, you're the salt of the earth. Because when you salt something, it becomes tasty, you know? And but we're not salting the world with Jesus. And it's our job to do it. Like, the world's not tasty with Jesus right now. You don't encounter him very often out there. But it's our job to do that. But to do that, we have to have the tools. Yeah, you cannot give what you do not have. It's an old philosophical principle. You cannot give what you do not have. It's, it's time that we we stop. Um, uh, I, I would go so so far as to say this: we stop focusing our our formation on children and kind of pointing the finger at them and saying they're the ones that have to learn the faith, and start focusing upon the ones from whom the children are supposed to learn, and that are the adults in our parishes, the parents, the grandparents, and so forth, so they can actually fulfill their job in giving the light of Christ to others. You know, what you just said, to turn back again to the general directory, the general directory says that, that parishes and dioceses should privilege adult faith formation. And, and the USCCB like breaks that down into specifics. And they say about privileging adult education financially, architecturally, in space, time, I mean, in, in every way in which we do education as a church, we should be privileging it. And we, we generally don't do that. Doctor, we generally don't do that. I have the quotation in front of me from okay. the directory. Oh, let's hear it. They're, they're basing, by the way, they're basing what they're saying on Pope John Paul II's words 
Um, and, and so here's what the directory says. Because of its importance and because all other, form of, all other forms of catechesis are oriented in some way to it, the catechesis of adults must have, a, have high priority at all levels of the church. And what, and what they're, they're basing their words off of is John Paul II's words. He says that adult catechesis is the principal form of catechesis because it is addressed to persons who have the greatest responsibilities and capacity to live the Christian message in its fully developed form. Now, I want to ask your, your participants here, ask you, doctor, in your average parish, would you say that adult faith formation has a high priority? And, and, and I think we just look at, like you mentioned architecture on this, in the sense of what we build in our churches. We build churches with whole wings for Sunday school, whole wings for Sunday school. And when it comes to adult education, we're thrown into, a, 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 you know, what room might be left over. And we, and we, and we oftentimes put an ill-prepared teacher because we won't pay the teacher, right? A worker's worth his wages. So we won't pay the teacher to actually teach. And so an ill-prepared teacher goes in and, and begins teaching a Bible study, which oftentimes they have no business teaching. And we have a, we have a complete breakdown, I believe, in the parish, at the parish level, uh, regarding the formation of adults. And then, and, and what are the results of that? When it comes time to do Sunday school, when it time it's time to teach the children, uh, we have teachers that are ill prepared. Uh, you know, the, sister, we seem to be grooving on the GDC right now for it. So I'm gonna pull another quote out of there. There's another passage in the General Directory that says that the end of uh, end is in the goal end yeah. of religious education or catechesis is to prepare the adult principally for the practice of lectio divina. That, that that's what we should be equipping people to do so that they can spiritually, meaningfully engage the Word of God. And it, when you know the tradition well, you know that, that that presupposes, of course, a knowledge of biblical history, salvation history, but cannot possibly, that's not sufficient. That's not sufficient. And um, you really have to be grounded in the doctrinal tradition of the church. You have to understand the, the dogmatic teaching of the church. And uh, and in someone like Gregory of Nyssa uh, or even um, Hugh of St. Victor in the Didascalion, that presupposes even broad knowledge of the liberal arts, the history of the church. And there's a, there's a pretty substantial formation that was necessary in the Middle Ages in order to become a doctor of the sacred page. You know, to be an expert in scripture meant you knew a lot more than just the Bible and its yeah. contents. Is it, and isn't it tragic, doctor, when you, when you're, your average, your average Catholic, I'm trying to, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to, you know, rain down fire and brimstone upon your average Catholic, but it's serious. It's not, it's not, it's not their fault. It's just the fact that there's not good opportunities for formation in most places within the church. And, um, and, uh, um, and then what, and then the, the results of that, are, are tragic. We have to be well-formed in all aspects of, of, of our faith if we hope to live out our faith in all the in all aspects of our life. Um, if we don't know, if we don't know Catholic history, we're not going to be able to recognize, if we don't know how God has worked among his people in history, we're not going to recognize his presence in our life today. Um, um, if we're, if we're not standing on the shoulders of the great seekers of wisdom, then we're going to stumble in, in, in trying to, uh, to understand where we came from and what the purpose of our life is. I want to, you know, doctors, you were talking, I opened my Bible to Ephesians chapter four, which is a text I've been, uh, uh, uh praying over, over the last, um, few days and weeks, because it has everything to do about the ascension of Christ. And he says in Ephesians chapter four, St. Paul says that when Christ ascended, 
he gave gifts to men. He shared his life with us, yeah, in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says his gifts were that some should be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the equipment of the saints, for the work of the ministry, the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And listen to this. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the cunning of men and by their craftiness and deceitful wiles. And I got to say that that describes most Christians today. Being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So today, before I came on with you, I was broadcasting a radio show with EWTN. And the first question from a skeptic was, doesn't religious faith make people credulous and naive and easily manipulated? And my answer was absolutely, yes. And in fact, that's a constant subject of criticism by the the apostles and prophets, a form of religious faith that is subject to precisely this kind of political manipulation, um, uh, you know, or uh, or the appearance of piety Paul talks about in Colossians Mm. 2.23. And the goal of Christian maturity is to is to develop to where we are um, inoculated against the temptation of superstition, right. um, but it is it is certainly not given with baptism, right? Yeah. I mean, like right. the, the capacity is the virtue yeah. of faith is given in baptism that can grow into wisdom, yeah. but we have to grow up into the fullness of Christ and mm-hmm. not be tossed around in that way. So you know, we we're as we're speaking, it occurs to me we've talked about the ministry of ICC is to uh, is to uh, address this this gap in adult formation. We hadn't really talked about how you're doing it. So what what are the forms? What does ICC actually look like if people were to go to your website, for example? What would they find, right. and how would you advise them to navigate it? Well, no, okay. Number one, you're going to find a family of, of of serious Christians that are seeking to do exactly what Saint Paul is talking about: grow up in every way into Christ, and that is put a deep tap root down into history and philosophy, theology, scripture all of these ways in which the Lord has revealed himself to us. Um, and that, that family is, is very much on a, on a, a project in which we are uh, seeking to, um, to, to grow in our knowledge, as St. Paul says, in our knowledge of the Son of God, um, as he's revealed to us, again, in all of these aspects of our life. Um, and so we host at the Institute of Catholic Culture uh, educational opportunities in which people can grow in their knowledge, their biblical knowledge, their knowledge of history, scripture. They can understand uh, Christ is the center of theology as the uh, answer uh, of the philosophers and so forth, to be able to see all aspects of our life in light of Christ, as Christ is the center of our life. Uh, and then having come, not leaving it there at the intellectual formation, but having come to know him and therefore come to know who I am made in his image and likeness to be inspired and strengthened, to live out that faith in, a, uh, in, in our, in our daily lives, in our families, in the workplace, uh, again, in every aspect of my life. So oftentimes told people, there's a Catholic way of eating. There's a Catholic way of drinking. There's a Catholic way of dancing. Uh, there's a Catholic way of living. Yeah, Catholics live differently. And I, I was asked, I asked this question to my parishioners all the time. I said, I said you got a, you got a, you got a, a, a Christian here. You're, you're in your home, in your, in your neighborhood, and you're living there. And next door to you is, um, a, is a Muslim or a Jew or some other 
uh, a person of some other faith. Would somebody see you and actually see that you're living differently? Is your life fundamentally changed by your encounter with Christ? And if not, we have a problem because you're living as most, most sadly, most are living as, as, as secular Americans outside you know, of the church. And what and our, our Christianity is expressed only for one hour on Sunday. You know, I was reflecting on uh, the letter of St. Peter, first Peter, the passage 315, always be ready to give an answer to the people who ask you for the hope that's in you. And that's often presented as a kind of Magna Carta for kind of intellectual apologetic. Being able to give an answer means I've got sort of intellectual formation, and that's true, of course. But if you look at the larger context of that passage, the context is when people ask you why you are subjecting yourself to persecution for the name of Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's 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 couched in the context of suffering, yeah. and people who think you are mad for living differently. Yeah, and that's the question that you have to be prepared to answer, which will, of course, right. engage the intellectual question. But it's it emerges yeah. out of your lifestyle. Yeah, it presupposes that you're actually living differently, and uh, you know. So, but you know, sadly, doctor, and on the on the on, sadly and on the positive end is an invitation to say, you know, w- w- we need to restore in our parishes and our homes this Catholic way of living. Uh, w- our our where is our festivity? And I would say, unfortunately, the festivity is gone because our, our preparation, where there is no preparation, there is no fulfillment. There's no fasting. And so there's not going to be any feasting. But well, where is the dancing? You know, Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus ascended and sent down the Holy Spirit upon us that we are tabernacles of God. We have been transformed, as you're mentioning in, in Peter's uh, uh, epistle. We've been divinized. We've been partakers of the divine nature. Um, and therefore, we dance. Catholics sing because we were the only ones ever reason to sing. You can't just talk anymore. You got to sing. You can't just walk anymore. You got to dance because Jesus is risen from the dead. But this is missing, sadly, from most people's experience of how, of their Catholic faith. We must, we must regain this again. We have to begin uh, living again as Christians, living as Catholics. So let me ask you a question. Uh, you know, you talked about the um, the need for adult Catholics to familiarize themselves, ground themselves in the tradition, so they have a genuine intellectual formation and not just be swayed by every wind of doctrine. What, in your mind, would be a tangible, like, concrete example of the kind of social cultural question that a Catholic in our world might confront, for which the tradition would provide resources and answers? Um. Well, I mean, yeah, the question, question of, of secularism itself about, and also the question of, of evolution, things like this are challenges that we face on a daily basis. The church has answers to, to you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, in so many ways, in so many ways, many of the errors and heresies the church dealt with in the first few hundred years are, are present here among us today. Uh, one one is right in our face is is our reaction to the COVID crisis, um, and in the early church, uh, one of the earliest heresies was a heresy of dualism, separated the spirit and the body, and in those days focused only on the spirit, saying that the body was of no no value or you know, or the material world was evil. Yeah, and and we had to get rid of it. We had to get out of our body so as to go into the place where we're really supposed to be, which is kind of sp- spirit people. Yeah. 
uh, but that with every heresy, there's a pendulum, yeah? And that pendulum is many ways has swung today in which the whole world is completely focused upon the body and the body alone to the detriment of the spirit, yeah? Everything we have done for the past year and a half, everything our society has done is to save our body to the point where we close down the churches for the detriment of our soul. Do you see? It's a form of dualism. Instead of realizing, you know, yeah, we have to take care of our bodies, but we better take care of our souls too. And we can't have this bifurcation, this dividing of the two. So, you know, we face real situations in which, which the church has had answers. And yet, I, if I walked into my average Catholic day and said, do you understand the impact of dualism in the early church and how the church answered that problem? Uh, dualism? What? Gnosticism? What? And yet the church answered that, confronted it, and beat it, and gave us a real way to live as a body-soul composite, as people who are in flesh spirits, yeah? We have bodies to be saved in. And yet today, because uh, sadly many, and, and many in, 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 in very powerful leadership positions also are not well-formed in the faith, if we've forgotten that. And so when a crisis like COVID comes, we close down the churches. Uh, and we focus primarily on the body. So yeah, I mean, that's just one example. Doctor. Sure. You know. So I was giving a public lecture one time and we got into the question of dualism and uh, I was focused on that strand of the tradition that privileged the spirit at the expense of the body. And a fellow raised his hand and asked me to, to talk about Manichaeism and dualism and its importance. And about that time, my phone rang, I had forgotten to silence my phone and my wife had expected me to come home for lunch and I was late. And I took one look at it and I knew who was calling me and why. And I responded to the fellow. I said, this is my wife calling me. She doesn't really care if my spirit is pure. She wants my body home for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> right, so great. let me ask you another question. So, so there are some very prominent Catholic apostolates, national apostolates in the world today that are very focused on communicating the, the most basic fundamentals of the faith. Like who is Jesus? and having a relationship with Christ in prayer. And, uh, and uh, they seem to have quite a following, many of them, and a lot of influence in parish life. And of course, you know, I'm very much in favor of introducing people to Christ and having a, a sort of shallow end of the pool, if you will, um, right. entry for people who are unchurched to come into contact yeah. with, with Christ. Um, uh, is there a way to... Um, to take what you're doing, and, um, and I won't say mass media, I, I'm trying to think of the metaphor, the language that I'm trying to communicate. Is there a way to sort of formulize the kind of formation you're given uh, in a way that could be um, accessible to many different parishes in many different parts of the country with different demographics yeah. um, in, in the way that some of these apostolates do? Where they have a kind of a simple formula of the presentation of the essence of the charisma. Could you, could you offer this kind of formation in Catholic culture in a way that could be uh, really replicated outside of the ICC. Well, yeah, it, it can. And it, and it is being, I would say, here's the, here's the thing. The Institute of Catholic culture is not into replicating itself. It's, sure. it's into forming people so that they can go into the parishes and actually do what they're called to do. And that is to start to, to form their parishes as centers of, of, of living Catholicism. Um, and so 
um, the the ICC is is growing. The Institute of Catholic Culture is growing. We have uh, oftentimes over well over a thousand people in attendance at our in our courses and things like that. But I as I was just reminding people just the other day in one of the courses, I said um, I said our goal is not to get you out of the parish. Our goal is to form you so that you can get back into the parish and do in your parish what what you're called to do as the hands and feet of Christ. As Saint as as Saint Paul was saying, right? One's a pastor, one's a teacher, one's an evangelist. We all have a gift to offer, um, and uh, and 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 unfortunately, sadly, most 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 Catholics are teaching are treating the church very much like a vending machine. We walk in, we get the goods we want, and we leave, uh, rather than t- treating the church as our home. I was reading recently uh, uh, Saint Porphyrios' beautiful insight on on the nature of the church, and he says the church is eternal. The church is the assembly which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the, the, the eternal assembly of God. And the church on earth is the incarnation of that reality. We are meant to be living this life of love with those around us. And um, it's about time as Catholics that we begin to do that again. So our mission at the Institute of Catholic Culture is for, to form Catholics, have them be able to come to a place where they can receive the formation they need so as to go back into the parish, not to necessarily start the Institute of Catholic Culture, replicate it or somehow video broadcast what we're doing, but go in and help help recreate um, uh, the, the, the fabric of our, of our community. Um, you know, doctor, I've got, yes, I've got it right here. Um, um, uh, Pope John Paul II. Um, he says about the laity, he says, without, without a doubt, amending of the Christian fabric of our society is urgently needed in all parts of the world. But for this to come about, what is needed is to first remake the Christian fabric of our ecclesial community itself. And there's, there's the thing, is that, that, that in too many places, our church community is not really a community. Um, and and we, we come into Mass uh, oftentimes right before the priest starts. We leave to get out as fast as we can so we don't get in the traffic jam and the, and the exit line, you know. And so, and I never get to know the person next to me. And I certainly rarely serve them, or there may be two or a few people in the parish that do that kind of thing. But, but that's not what our church is supposed to be about. We're to be growing together, learning together, eating together, living together as Catholics. Um, if we hope that our church is going to do what it's meant to do, and that is to salt the earth, you have to be a light to the nations, to be a, a center of, of salvation in the city in which we're planted. Um, and so, so that's really our mission at the Institute of Catholic, form people who will come to know the Lord, and then be, because they know the Lord and what he's done for their lives, love him more deeply, and having loved him more deeply than having been united with him in love, then begin to live the life they've been given um, uh, be, as partakers of the divine nature, to be the presence of Christ, in their, again, in their families, in their workplaces, in their, uh, in their parishes and so forth, um, to really be able to live as Christians. So when you're not running the ICC, you're, you're the pastor of a parish, and you're the director of catechesis evangelization for your eparchy. So there are, there are two spheres of activity that are really your principal vocation, right, where you have an opportunity to do what you just said, uh, to bring uh, in your teaching and your governance of the church these priorities in, in your own parish life, in your parishes. Mm-hmm. So wh- what do you do yourself as a pastor in a parish to yeah. try to create that reality? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I'm going to say I succeed. 
I wouldn't say that sure. I do, but I do try. Um, and, and I would say the, 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 the first thing um, is to realize that that church doesn't begin and end when the priest makes the sign of the cross over you. Mm-hmm. Um, our gathering as a church assembly uh, ought to spill out of the church in this opportunity to come together to be the manifestation of the, the revelation, the incarnation of the life of God on earth. And so um, I know this might sound simple. But one of the most important things for me is to ensure that our reception following the liturgy is um, prepared, well prepared, so that what we have encountered inside the church can be lived out as we walk outside of the building. Um, so that a coffee hour is critically important. I'd say for, for churches that want to kind of renew themselves, it's a simple process. Stick a coffee maker at the front door of your church. Okay. And, and God willing, your hall was built where it should be built, which is in the way. So you can't get your car without going through the hall. You know, that's the good churches are built. So they, you literally, it's easier to get your cup of coffee. And if you get your cup of, cup of coffee, you're going to talk to other people. That's one thing. The other thing that's critically important for me as a pastor is for people's engagement in the, in the services. And in our, I'm a, I'm a Byzantine priest, uh, Melkite Greek Catholic priest. And so that engagement includes singing. We have mentioned singing a couple of times because it's Socrates in the Republic that says that music has the ability to dive to the deepest part of the soul, the fastest, and, and kind of, I can't remember how he says it, adhere there. And we know that, don't we? When music is played, all of a sudden your body starts reacting to it. You start tapping your foot or whatever. There's a reason we have war music, right? There's a re- reason we have romance music because it engenders in the soul immediately the nature of the music, right? Well, it's the same in our churches. How, how, how so sad we walk into our church which has this beautiful musical patrimony and either the choir singing by itself or there's no music at all my brothers and sisters is socrates told us it's we we know this by our tradition the the services are to be be sung to be chanted because we the, the truths of our faith become adhere in the soul engendered there when we begin to sing we have to open our mouths again with a responsorial psalm yeah, you know, I always, I always love this one, you know, S- clap your hands and sing to the Lord. <laughs> clap your hands and sing. <laughs> what? You know, whatever happened to the, 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 the feasting that would be taking place in our Eucharistic feast. And so that's for me as a pastor is, number, is, to, is to help people engage in the liturgical life of the church, in the singing of the liturgy, and then to spill out that gift and give it back to the Lord. The Lord gave it to us. And then to walk out of the church and engage with one another and build relationships there. That's great. I love it. So, you know, the first time you and I ever spoke on the telephone, uh, I mentioned to you one of the things I liked about the ICC was, uh, though not exclusively, you engaged the fathers of the church. And they're prominently featured in your catechetical ministry, lectures on commentary on the fathers. And um, I, I attended a large Catholic meeting uh, a few years ago with you know national apostolates and bishops around the country. And the tone of the thing suggested to me that the church began in 1978. Right. You know, like most of the references to documents or ideas yeah. or ministries, you really date to John Paul's pontificate and later. Right. Yeah. And it was all good. It was all good. Nothing wrong with it. But I, I remember walking out feeling like satisfied with aspects, but unsatisfied with that sense of, um, well, novelty. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's not what made me a Catholic. Right. You know, and uh, I came to a Catholic reading my, reading my way through the depth of the tradition. 
Yeah. And when I got to the 20th century, I discovered guys like Delubach and, and Ratzinger, who were very much engaged in the project of bringing that patrimony to the attention of the modern Catholic Church. I really am grateful to uh, Pope Benedict and his, his Wednesday audience. He's did a whole series on the fathers of the church and the doctors of the church, and yeah. clearly because he thought it ought to be privileged. Um, but, uh, but I don't get a lot of that. You know, I don't see a lot of that in, in uh, Bishop Barron would be an exception, you know, yeah. prominent apostolate bishop who's teaching in that way. Um, why do you think that is? Yeah. Uh, well, I would say the reason that that is, is because because most in leadership roles actually don't don't have a good formation. We have this idea that seminary like created, you know, is this really wonderful education formation. Faith. Oftentimes seminary education it didn't it hasn't lived up to everything we would hope it to be so um but but uh I, it's, it's 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 hard yeah you got to go dig around but you know what doctor you uh, coming into the church through the fathers my i myself return to the church because of the fathers other great you know other catholics take scott hahn yeah through the fathers all these is through the fathers right if, if we if we become steeped in the great tradition of our church it itself is an attraction to non-Catholics and uh, and and to Catholics who have fallen away. So, um, you know, I it was it was when I was reading Saint Polycarp and the martyrdom of Saint Polycarp that I I says, wow, here's a guy who has every he's he's every reason uh, to 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 give his life for this thing, and I don't even have a reason to live. And um and his his, his conversion story was transformative for me. I said, I want that. I want what he's got. And um and and I'm sure you experienced a, a, a similar thing. So you know the reasons that that lead us that have led us to the situation we find ourselves in today are are are, are um so many so many, and yet the we get, thank God that we have the possibility of restoring formation in our church. We haven't lost it, yeah. We just got to do it, and when we do it and we do it well people are attracted to it. And that's why, you know, at the Institute, we have, we, you know, we're, we're right now we're doing a philosophy course. It's an in-depth course. We do one, you know, one talk. We had shot a talk with Father Paul Scalia on the, on the virtue of hope, other talks like that, a two or three part series, whatever the case may be. We also do courses whole semester long. Right now we're in a, we're in a year long course in philosophy, right? Oh, nobody's interested in philosophy. We have over 1600 people from 40 different countries. Uh, that are that are enrolled in this course and engaged in it because they know at the Institute of Catholic Culture, they're going to receive the gift of the tradition of the church, the truths of the faith um, in their full in all of their fullness. And it's not going to be easy, but but it's but it's time that we kind of grab hold on to the realization we are adults. And if we want to live as adult Catholics, we better know the faith as adults. And I'm telling you, as a witness to those who are participating, it will transform your life for the better, it will transform your life into a Christian life. Okay, so there is, uh, uh, playing, playing the advocate here, there is some brainiac stuff on your website. You know, there's some high-end Catholic formation, which I love. That's fantastic, right? Um, it, that may not be everybody's back, you know, and, well, uh, uh, and you know, uh, even a, preach, a priest who's preaching a homily, who may have this formation, may, may have this profound desire to share it with his parish and find out that their concerns are a bit more, you know, down to earth, uh, perhaps. Um, so 
what would you say? I would, I'd say no. I, I disagree, Doctor. Okay, all right, fair I enough. I disagree because well, no, on our uh, through the Institute of Catholic Culture, we do also weekly Bible studies in preparation for Sunday, all going right. through the lectionary, things like that. Um, um, but, but uh, we have practical concerns about our life, about how we're to live our life. And brothers and sisters, you want to know how to live your life in a practical way. You got to come to know the Lord. Um, and, and that's not always easy for us, especially as we're in our modern society, the way, the way we are on the cell phones and so forth like that, the CNN on all the time, all these distractions is not easy stuff, but, but the, the people of God deserve to know what the lord has done for us um and that and that like i said that that means all aspects of our life so yeah there's tough stuff on there um deep dives into history philosophy things like that but in all of these things in, in this philosophy course it's a matter of learning learning how to live again but in order to learn how to live again i have to know the truth. I have to know where I've come from and what the purpose of my life is. Now, that's not always easy to dive into, to dig into, to do good philosophical work. But that is the great tradition of the Christian, the, of, of the Christian faith. And it's it's about time that we give people that opportunity. Say, do you want do you want to dive deep? Do you want to live again? Uh, you you mentioned the shallow end of the pool, doctor, but that that indicates that there's a deep end too. That's right. That's yeah. right. And we better give people a chance to dive into the deep end and swim around a bit. Okay, so I want you to give me one or two practical uh, admonitions or suggestions you have for a lot of people listening to this podcast are going to be parish catechetical leaders, DREs, catechists, um, for how can they apply some of these insights into their work. And then finally, as we finish up, tell us how we can find you on the internet and get a hold of your materials. Sure, sure, sure. Well, we can go there to go, go to instituteofcatholicculture.org. Um, but, um, but I would, I would say, I would say to our catechetical leaders, our parishes, our parents and things like that, um, that, that we, we, we can't shy away from the truths of the faith. Um, and we want to, we want to, uh, understand them in as deep as possible as we can. Our people need to become biblically literate. And I would say that's the number one priority to become biblically literate, um, uh, because otherwise the liturgy cannot speak to us as it's meant to speak to us, to form us as it's meant to form us. Um, and that and that formation um, can happen in the parish, but we have to be willing to dedicate ourselves to it. We have to be willing to put the funding behind it that's required um, uh, and dedicate the resources of our parishes to it. Um, and when we find that there, it's not there not to become frustrated, but to but to, 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 to sometimes there's bureaucracy in the way in our parishes, difficult to get good formation going. Um, but, but if we put ourselves to the work, it can happen. And I've seen, I saw it happen because the Institute of Catholic Culture started in a parish as the parish adult education program. And mm -hmm. we've, we've grown from, from an average uh, attendance of, you know, 60 people in the parish, which would be fantastic in most of our churches, you know, from 60 to hundred to 250 to 200, 250 until we finally got kicked out of the parish because there's so many people coming. They didn't have room for us in their halls. Our problem is our church halls aren't big enough for adult education in our parishes. That's our problem. It's not that our, our people aren't interested enough. No, if you do it well, the parish hall isn't big enough. We don't have enough space. I'm waiting for one pastor to follow the teachings of the church to make adult education the, the, pri the priority of education formation in the parish and to show me it in money. Show me the effort in money because that's what the church teaches. 
That's fantastic. You, you just gave me a new criteria for to evaluate success when your adult education program gets kicked out of the parish for being too big. You know you're doing it well. That's, That's right. fantastic. Well, Father, thank you so much for being with us today. In our next episode, I'll speak with Sister Gabby Ramirez, Director of Emergency Services for our diocese, about how different cultural communities can contribute to one another, helping to build up the body of Christ. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on YouTube or using your favorite podcast app. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating or review. Finally, recommend us to friends and family. We'd love to continue speaking with you in this special year focused on encountering Christ in our parish and in the Eucharist.